Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And if you're able to, also continue standing as we read words written by Paul through inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. God has spoken to us in his word this morning. So these are his words to us. We're going to, as I mentioned last week, we're going to start this series on 2 Timothy. As I was thinking about kind of titling, you know, what should this series be? Uh, I, I, I thought, well, it's the beginning, a beginning of an end, not the beginning of the end, because that's not the case here. So a beginning of an end, a life shaped by the gospel. So these are Paul's final words uh, that he has written in Scripture, and he wrote them to his disciple, his understudy, the, the, his son in the faith, Timothy. Listen to what Paul writes to him and passed down to us this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in his word this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with, filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. We thank you for the victory that he has accomplished on our behalf. We thank you for the salvation that is found in his name. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may we see how the gospel has so shaped Paul's life. 
that he lived his life for you. Even to the point of persecution. Even to the point of death for being a follower of your son Jesus. Father, fill us with the same sort of boldness and courage to live faithfully for you. Oh God, I ask now that you be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. If, if you knew that today was the last day that you had with someone you loved, what would you tell them? If today was the last day that you had with someone you loved, what would you tell them? You know, the Bible is full of important sort of final words uh, of someone passing away or, 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 the, or passing down the faith to the next generation. There are all sorts of sort of Last words, final words that are recorded all throughout the scriptures. You have in the book of Genesis, many of the patriarchs, like Jacob telling his sons that that he doesn't want his bones to be buried in Egypt, but he wants his bones to be buried in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. Or or a couple weeks ago in uh, Sunday school, we went through the book of Deuteronomy and we talked about how the book of Deuteronomy is essentially Moses's final words, his Last sermon series, if you will, to the people of Israel before he passes away and he enters into the promised land. Or or maybe you have the last words of David that's recorded in 2 Samuel 23, where David gives his last words, his final words, his final instruction to his son Solomon of what to do when he is gone, what to do when he passes away. Most importantly, we have probably the most important final words in the scriptures found in, with Jesus in Acts 1, 8. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he, he turns and he says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And so today we start this series on Second Timothy with Paul's final words. These are the last words that we have written by the Apostle Paul. In Scripture, Second Timothy is Paul's last words to his son in the faith, to Timothy, whom he had mentored and discipled and whom he had sent out to pastor. Timothy ended up pastoring the church in Ephesus for a while. And that's likely where Timothy is at this very moment that Paul is writing this letter to him. He, he's writing this letter at the end of his life, these last words. And Paul is in prison. He's awaiting his death. And so he writes this letter as he is about to be put to death. He's in chains, he's in prison, and he's writing this letter to to Timothy, these final instructions before he passes away. And and, and so there are a couple clues in this letter itself that kind of help us see that this is the very end of Paul's life. And and stick with me, we're going to do some church history this moment. For the next couple moments, I love church history, and you should too. Um, but stick with me as we kind of go through some of these, okay? There are a couple clues that Paul gives us for what's going on here in the background, the, the context in which he's writing. As we just read in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul talks about that Onesiphorus came to visit him in Rome. And, and he says that he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. So Paul's in Rome here. And this time he's in chains. Okay, he's 
imprisoned in Rome and he's in chains. There was another time in which Paul was in Rome as well. Many uh, church historians believe that Paul was actually imprisoned two different times in the city of Rome. The first one would be at the end of Acts 28. Acts 28, verses 30 through 31, talks about Paul living for two whole years at his own expense, and he was welcoming all who came to him. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul was likely imprisoned in the ho- in a house in Rome at the end of Acts 28. Many uh, early church leaders, after the time of Paul, after the time of the apostles, so we're talking about sources that are outside of Scripture, but, but when it comes to early church history, many leaders believe that Paul was imprisoned two different times in Rome. So that first time was in Acts 28, then he was released, And some of these early church leaders believe that Paul was released. And after that time in Rome that's mentioned in Acts 28, he was able to go and preach in various regions of the Mediterranean. The the letter of 1 Clement, so this isn't a scriptural letter, it's not a biblical letter, it's not inspired, but it's the earliest Christian letter that we have uh, in in record today. The letter of 1 Clement talks about um, how Paul went to preach in the West, after he was released from this first imprisonment in Rome. Possibly, he made it to Spain. Paul really wanted to go to Rome. Uh, sorry, he really wanted to go to Spain. He mentions that in Romans fifteen twenty four. Then, stick with me, we're still going through some church history. In 325 AD, the early church historian Eusebius wrote that the church tradition taught that Paul was imprisoned a second time in Rome. And likely, that's what we have here in Second Timothy. So that he wrote this letter at the very end of his life as he's about to be martyred, killed for being a follower of Jesus in Rome. So Paul is writing here what's going to be his last, his last New Testament letter. And he's in prison. He's about to be put to death. He's about to die. In fact, where do we see that? If you look in uh, chapter four, verses six through eight. So Second Timothy four, six through eight. Paul talks about he says, for I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. So this letter is the end of Paul's ministry, his life. It's coming to a close. And as you you read this letter, there's this burden that you can almost feel for the next generation of leadership to step up in the church. And so this book is very important for us. It's very important for us to understand in a number of capacities. It's very important for us to understand how the ministry that Jesus Christ gave to his apostles, uh, he gave to the apostles under Christ, is being passed to the next generation of leaders in the church. Timothy is the next generation of leaders who are going to step up and continue this gospel work, this gospel ministry, and also understand how that same charge to continue in faithful ministry to the Lord is passed down to us through the centuries today. So Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter. It seems like the conditions in which he's living are not great. He's chained up. It's cold. In fact, in Chapter 4, verse 13, he asked that Timothy would bring him a cloak. 
So he's in a cold prison. And this is what Paul writes. First and Second Timothy and Titus, they, they make up what are called the pastoral epistles. They're pastoral letters. They were personal letters by Paul that he wrote to pastors, Timothy and Titus, younger men whom he had mentored in the faith. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy who had served with Paul, who had been mentored by Paul, and who had been sent out by Paul. And look at the way, look at the way he describes Timothy. Verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved child. If you were to turn to the first letter, 1 Timothy, that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul looks upon this young man, Timothy, as one of his very own children in the faith. You know, I think there's a lot there for us, right? In understanding. You know, maybe providentially you do not have children. Or, or maybe your, your children have moved on. You know, they, they've been sent out from your house. But, but here we see that even though Paul did not have Timothy as a, as a physical child, it was one of his children in the faith. So you can have an influence on the next generation, brothers and sisters, even if they are not yours biologically. I mean, think about your own life. Brothers and sisters, who has passed down the faith to you? Who would you consider as your spiritual grandmother or grandfather or spiritual father or spiritual mother? Maybe it is your physical parents. But I think for many of us, we can think about those who have poured into our lives, whom we love dearly, but they're not our own physical family, right? I can think of many of the Sunday school teachers that I had growing up. I had no family connection with, but how they had mentored and poured into me. And how we are given that opportunity today as well. And also, we extended that announcement this morning that we need help doing that. So maybe you can serve as mentoring the next generation today as well. So Paul looked upon Timothy dearly. He loved him dearly. Timothy would pastor at Ephesus, and here Paul is saying, please come visit me. He wants to see him one last time before he dies, before he's killed in Rome. And as we look at the book of 2 Timothy, there's some major themes that we're going to see Paul expound upon, Paul explain and write down. And some of these major themes are the themes of suffering, themes of endurance, the themes of faithfulness, the themes of the scriptures and false teachers. So suffering, endurance, faithfulness, the scriptures and false teachers. And really woven throughout all of those themes that Paul is describing here is the theme of the gospel. So we could say suffering in light of the gospel, faithfulness to the Lord because of the gospel, the scriptures as the testimony of the gospel, and false teachers who have believed a false gospel. The gospel is woven all throughout this letter, this burden that Paul has for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ going forward. John Stott, a pastor in England a couple of decades ago, he broke up this letter very simply in regards to an outline. He said, chapter one is guard the gospel. Chapter two is suffer for the gospel. Chapter three is continue in the gospel. And chapter four is proclaim the gospel. So friends, as we think about this letter and its application to our life today, how important it is for us as we 
Look at chapter 1 for us to guard the gospel and to continue to share the gospel. We must guard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is, because there are false gospels that have crept into the church. Remember last week we talked about false gospels of prosperity preachers. They teach these false teachings that, that, that God just wants you to be happy and healthy. That, that, that these false teachings that have nothing to do with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But God just wants you to be healthy in this life. God just wants you to be happy and rich in this life. Or there's the false gospels of people who've watered down the good news of who Jesus is so much that there is actually no good news left. This happens when people teach falsely that it doesn't matter what you do or what you say or however you live. It doesn't matter. Uh, God simply just wants you to be kind. God's not going to punish anybody for your sins. No, friends, we must guard the gospel. And to do that, we must know what the gospel is ourselves. And so what is the gospel? Well, Paul kind of describes it a little bit throughout the scripture here, through his letter here. In 2 Timothy 2, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, listen to what he says. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. In other words, at the heart of this gospel, gospel means good news. At the heart of the good news that we as believers, as followers of Jesus, get to declare to this lost and dying world, is that what? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And, and he also, you, you skip over to chapter 3, verse 15. He talks about the sacred writings. And he says, the, the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith and through faith in Christ. So this salvation that Paul is talking about that we learn from the scriptures, the sacred writings, this salvation is what the good news entails, that, that we are sinful, that our sin has separated us from God and that we cannot do anything to repair our relationship with God. But God in his mercy and God in his grace, he didn't leave us in our sins, but he sent his son to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we could have that relationship with God restored. It was by sending Jesus into this world that we might be saved from our sins. And Jesus has defeated sin and death through the cross and through his resurrection. And that's our only hope that we have of knowing and loving and being a part of God's family is by placing our faith in Christ. That is the only message that saves. Which is why Paul has such a burden for the gospel to be guarded. And guarded in the sense of people who try to explain it away, or people attacking it. But we don't just guard the gospel by keeping it to ourselves. We guard the gospel not by hoarding it on our own, in our own hearts, in our own minds, but by faithfully knowing it, by faithfully explaining it, and faithfully sharing the good news that Jesus Christ saves. So friends, as we look at our text this morning, we see this urgent need that, that Paul is passing down to Timothy and now to us today as well to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And like Paul, we should live our lives in a way that have been so shaped by the gospel. So we'll see the urgent need to guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us, that God has called us to himself, 
And therefore, we should not be ashamed of what God has called us to. And so Paul does this here by reminding Timothy of their past, of both of their past, of Paul's past and Timothy's past. And so these are his final words that he wants to leave Timothy with, that he might be the kind of leader who has been so shaped by the gospel that he wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. So shaped by the gospel and not ashamed of the gospel. Look at how Paul begins his letter. An apostle of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how has Paul's life been so shaped by the gospel? We see in verse 2 that he's been called. He's been called by the will of God. And what was God's will for him to do? It's to proclaim this promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds Timothy of the fact that the gospel has so shaped his own life and his own ministry that he has now been given the opportunity. It is God's will for him to proclaim this promise of salvation of life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. So we could say that verses 1 through 7 are Paul's, Paul explaining how our lives are meant to be shaped by the gospel. And, and as we dive deeper into, well, what does that mean? What does that look like to live a life that is shaped by the gospel, that's shaped by the good news of what Christ has done? Well, a life that has been shaped by the gospel is a life that's marked by thankfulness. Look what Paul writes in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So a life that has been shaped by what Christ has done for us is meant to be a life that's marked by thankfulness. Paul thanks the Lord here in the midst of a cold prison. Prison uh, in, in Rome was not anything like prisons in our day, right? You don't have food brought to you. The only way you get fed is if there are people there to serve you, friends and family who come to bring you meals. Paul is in chains in the midst of a cold prison. And he's saying, I am thanking God because of that. Why is he thanking God? Because he knows the work that was given to him through the Lord Jesus Christ is now being passed on to the next generation. It's now being passed on to Timothy, his son in the faith. Even while in prison, he's saying, I'm thanking the Lord. The gospel has shaped Paul's life so much. He knows who he was, and he's able to thank the Lord despite what his current life situation in prison, in a Roman prison, looked like. You know, friends, how often we fail to thank the Lord in our own lives. Right? We get so busy or, or maybe our prayer lives are focused so much on on what our external circumstances look like uh, uh, that we fail to thank the Lord. Friends, when was the last time you just took a moment and thanked the Lord for what he has done in your life? You thanked him for for how he has saved you. You thanked him for the life that he has given you to live. But as you spend your time in prayer, thanking and praising God for, for who He is and what He's done, 
or simply just asking them. Don't get me wrong. God wants us to ask of him, to, to, to submit our prayers and requests and cast our burdens before him. But is your prayer life marked more by what you need as opposed to a thankfulness for what he has done for you? Friends, when our lives are shaped by the gospel, we should be prone to thankfulness. You ever met somebody who's ungrateful for everything? Maybe you're that person. Actually, I know some of you are that person. <laughs> How easily we can be that person, right? Where we can be so ungrateful for everything. But what an awful witness that is for Christ. So a life that's been shaped by the gospel is a life that is marked by thankfulness. Also, a life that's shaped by the gospel, as we look at verses 3 and 4, it is a life that's prayerful and joyful. Look at what he says. And constantly, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So notice how Paul's ministry has been so shaped by the gospel that he prays for Timothy constantly. His burden for, for the good news to continue to go forth in the next generation it is so great that he spends his time in constant prayer to the Lord for Timothy and others like him. And that drives him to prayer. And that constant prayer that, that Paul has here, notice it's not a burden. What does he say? He says that I may be filled with joy. As he is constantly thanking the Lord for what he has done in his life, for what he's done in Timothy's life, and what he's going to continue to do as the gospel continues to go forth, he says it's a joy for him. So friends, what drives you to prayer? Is it just a list of needs? Or is it a burden for the gospel to continue to go forth? For people to come to saving faith in Christ. And as Paul is, is, is reminding Timothy, uh, as, he, as he is explaining and introducing to Timothy some of the things he's going to talk about, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith in verse 5. He reminds Timothy, look, your faith is sincere. And because your faith is sincere, this life that's shaped by the gospel, now as we're going to see in verses 6 and 7, is a life of boldness. So a life that's been shaped by the gospel is one that is prayerful, it's one that's joyful, it's one that's thankful, and it's also one that is bold. Because of the sincere faith that Timothy has, in who Christ is and what he's done, he is meant to live a life of courage, a life of boldness. Look with me at verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, self-control so this life that's shaped by the gospel is a life that is bold for the lord a life that's lived in courage for the lord not in cowardice but in courage and, and he tells timothy look, look at what he says in verse six he says i remind you to fan into flame the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands now he doesn't say what that specific gift is. You can read all sorts of commentaries about what kind of speculation this gifting is. Maybe it's a 
the gift of preaching. Maybe it's the gift of, of pastoral ministry. Maybe it's the gift of leadership. We, we don't know. He doesn't specify what that gift is. And, and, but he, he describes that this gift was given to him through the laying on of my hands. Likely a reference to when Timothy was commissioned by Paul and the elders to serve the local church. This is often where we get the, 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 the practice of laying our hands on a deacon or a pastor who, who is being commissioned or ordained by a local church. We place our hands on them, kind of coming from the text, showing that the ministry is going to continue through the, their work. But notice, he says, fan into flame the gift. What do you think that teaches us about the gifting that God has given us? Friends, every single one of us has been given some sort of gifting by God to serve Him. Maybe it's the gift of teaching. Maybe it's the gift of preaching. Maybe it's the gift of service. Maybe it's the gift of encouragement. Every single one of us has a gift that has been given to us by God when we place our faith in Him that is meant to be used for the building up of the church, for, for the encouragement of one another. But, but notice he says you need to fan into flame this gift of God. In other words, he's using this imagery of stoking the fire, right? The fire's going, and it needs to be stoked. It needs to, 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 to be brought back you know, in, into to greater intensity. And, and what does this teach us about gifting? It teaches us when our gifting, there are times when our gifting seems to fade, right? Likely because our gifts aren't being used. And so they need to be used and they need to be strengthened. They need to be stoked like a fire. So what gifting, friend, are you not using for the Lord today? Maybe the Lord is calling you to teach. Maybe he's calling you into ministry. Maybe he's calling you into some form of service. How are you going to use the gifting that God has given you? Is the gifting that you have in your life, does that need to be stoked? Does it need to be fanned into flame this morning? And because of, 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 of who God is and because his, his spirit is now dwelling in the life of his followers, of his disciples, this spirit gives us, should cause us to serve and use our gifts, not in fear, but notice what he says, in power and love and self-control. So this gifting needs to be stoked so that we wouldn't be ashamed of what we're doing to serve the Lord so that we would be bold. The, the, the word that's used here for uh, not a fear, uh, maybe some of your translations have the word cowardice. It, this word carries it with it this idea of running away from battle. But Paul says that is not a mark of the Spirit. That's not the mark of a life that has been shaped by the gospel, to run away when, when things get hard, to run away when life is difficult. This last week, uh, I was able to, to go back to Atlanta and go to the North American Missions Board for some training. And we were talking about, there's a group of us from all across the country, and they were talking about what are some unique challenges in your area when it comes to where you serve, the, the area in which you serve. Being from California, like my list was way too long, <laughs> right? What are some unique challenges about our state. I said, honestly, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that we face as believers in California is the fact that there's so many people who want to leave California. That's a major difficulty for us. 
But I told them I don't want to leave California. And I know I've said this to you all many times because we can't abandon the kingdom outposts that we have in this state. This state so desperately needs the gospel. Now, I'm not saying those people who move to other states are cowards. That's not what I'm saying. They're moving for the right reasons, right? But Paul truly shows us that that this type of characteristic of, of boldness, that should be a mark of a believer. So we don't need to run because we don't like the politics or, 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 or we don't stand in fear, but we stand in power and love and self-control. There are many things to not like about this state. There are a lot of things to really love about it. It's a hard place, isn't it, to serve the Lord at various times? It's a frustrating place at times to serve the Lord. But friends, God has us here for a reason. Maybe it's just for a season He has you here. But let's not run from this outpost that God has given us for the sake of the gospel here in this state. Maybe so many people are abandoning their posts in this state because they never even had a desire to reach the lost and dying of the world around them anyways. That's my fear. It's not so much politics, but they didn't even love the lost and dying souls around them. You know, in, in, in Acts, the, 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 the early leaders of the church, they were often persecuted, right? For following the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John, they were arrested for preaching the gospel. And they eventually they're released. They're told, don't preach the gospel anymore. But what do they continue doing? They continue preaching the gospel, right? But I love the way Acts 4.31 reads. It says, when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaking. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Friends, let's pay, let's pray for boldness, not cowardice. And let's seek to love this lost and dying community, this lost and dying state, this lost and dying world all around us. Not in a sense of fear, but in a sense of boldness. Because we know whom we have believed, right? And that he is able. But notice that this, 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 this power is also love and self-control. So boldness, love, and self-control. Those all go together, right? It is, so, so boldness is not just yelling at people and telling them everything that's wrong with them on Facebook or on social media. No, no, no. We need to have love and self-control, right? We tell them of their sinfulness and we call them to repent and place their faith in Christ. So friends, do you see how the gospel has so shaped Paul's life here? And now he is, is seeking to pass that down to Timothy, his child in the faith. It's given him a burden for the work of the ministry to continue. To pray, to be thankful, to be prayerful, to be joyful. So that he would lead a life of boldness, a life of love, and a life of self-control. As I mentioned at the beginning of service, Today is the 21st anniversary of uh, of, uh, of 9/11, right? When the two towers were were uh, were, were hit, and then also the the plane that, that crashed into the the Pentagon and the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania, I believe. But this week, I I heard somebody tell a story of a man at the World Trade Center. His name is uh, is Ronald Fazio. Maybe you've heard of his name. He he worked in the second tower that was hit. He saw the first tower was hit. He realized something bad is happening. We need to get out of here. 
And so he, he worked near the top of the tower. And what he ended up doing is he ended up holding the door for the people running down the stairs. He'd go down each level, hold the door for the next people, tell them to get out. He kept on doing it, kept on doing it, kept on doing it, kept on doing it, so that people, tons of people would be saved. And, and ultimately, he didn't make it out alive because he was holding the door open for the next person to get through. And, and there, there are many stories. You can look them up. It's pretty incredible. Uh, there's many stories that, that are told of people. We have no idea who this man was, but he was in a red shirt who held the door open. There's countless people's lives who saved, who were saved because of him. He held the door. He didn't make it out, but he held the door so that people would be saved. And, and for some of us here, that's what we need to continue doing, right? We need to continue holding the door so the work of the ministry continues. Paul saw the need for the gospel to go forth, for the gospel that had so shaped his life that he was willing to pour out his life, sacrifice his life for the sake of others. So Paul poured out his life to serve Christ and to serve those who would one day replace him. Friends, are you willing to do the same? These are Paul's last words here, written to somebody who would replace him. Someone who would continue the ministry that he was doing. Continue building on the foundation that he had laid. Friends, we have so much to learn from him. And how our lives can be shaped by the gospel as we work our way through this book over the next few weeks. So friends, what is it that you need to do? What is it the gifting that you need to do? How is it that you're going to hold the door for the ministry to continue going You know, friends, we're about to take the Lord's Supper together in a matter of moments. And as you uh, as you prepare to do so, I want to ask you, what's your next step in following Jesus? What's your next step in following Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ. You've never placed your faith in him. You have never repented of your sins. That's your next step today. Maybe some of you need to recommit your life to Christ. You're not serving Him faithfully. You're hooked on some sort of immorality or pornography or you're living a life of immorality, a life seeking to please yourself. Maybe you need to commit your life, recommit your life back to Him. Maybe you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've never been baptized. Maybe that's your next step this morning. Maybe your next step is membership here at this church. Maybe God is calling you into the ministry or to the mission field. What is your next step in following Jesus this morning? So as we begin the time of taking the Lord's Supper together, I don't want you to just search your own heart and, and see, you know, what are these things that I need to confess to the Lord? I need to lay at his feet and, and receive uh, his, his, his saving grace and, and, and need to be cleansed of. But also think about what is it that I need to do? What gifting do I need to use to serve the Lord in this next step? So as we begin to partake the Lord's Supper, keep those things in mind. What's your next step in following Jesus? In a matter of moments, I'm going to invite you to come forward and grab these elements. But as you, before we do that, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 why we are doing what we're doing. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Our own statement of faith says this, explaining further what we believe about the Lord's Supper from Scripture. It's a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church who partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So friends, this table that's set before us is, is meant to be a reminder for us of what Christ went through on our behalf. So that our lives would be shaped by the gospel. So that our lives would be committed to serving him. And so this table is open to all of those who have repented of, of their sins and placed their faith in Christ and followed him obediently through baptism. Now we do not believe that baptism is what saves by any means, but it's a sign of an inward reality. So maybe you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ. You've repented of your sins. But you haven't followed Jesus obediently baptism. May you see this as the Lord showing you your next step in following Him in obedience this morning. That you would commit to be baptized in following Jesus in that way. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with some sin. Confess it to the Lord. and Be reminded of His body that was broken, His blood that was shed to cleanse you from all sins. And friends, as we're about to do this, there's a looking back, there's a looking forward. Right? There's a looking back on what Christ has done and there's a looking forward to the hope that we have. So let's commit to living a life of boldness for the Lord. So at this time, I'm going to ask that you would come forward. If you would just grab one and make it back to the seat. Uh, maybe you can grab a couple for the people next to you uh, and, and serve them in that way. Uh, but if you'd come forward, go back to your seat and then uh, wait and then we'll, we'll all take together. So if you'd make your way forward at this time.